Let's join together in prayer. Lord, I pray that uh, we would really believe you're the God of miracles. Um, The greatest miracle of all uh, is a life, one life, turning to you, uh, both in repentance and in faith, and you renewing that heart to give them eternal life that doesn't start at our physical death, uh, but can start at any moment. Lord, we pray for more of those miracles uh, in this church, in this body. When that happens, a lot of other things change in our life. It changes how we look at relationships, how we look at people, how we look at the world, how we look at this life. Uh, And Lord, I pray that uh, those miracles would happen uh, to create more miracles. Miracles of forgiveness, miracles of reconciliation, uh, miracles of people going into the world, and that just may be the neighbor or it may be a nation. Uh, that says, Lord, you have great things and big plans for my life, both on this earth and beyond in the new heavens and the new earth. I pray for that type of belief, that we see a big God more and more. Thank you that that is possible because you're here, your spirit rose Jesus from the dead, and your spirit will rise us from the dead as well. We thank you for that power that is in our presence right now. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Thank you all. Y'all can have a seat. And you can turn in your Bibles to John 15. We'll be in John 15 today. We are in a series that we call He Is. And it is looking at the seven statements of Jesus in John where he said, I am. Uh, He said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I am the good shepherd. Uh, We've spent Lent going over these statements of Jesus. uh, And we will close next Sunday, Easter Sunday. uh, And we save arguably the best for last one. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And we say, as we do every Easter, he is risen. Uh, So that will be Easter Sunday. And we will see his resurrection both in Scripture And we'll see it in the blessing, the gift of the supernatural event of baptism uh, as we celebrate that. Now, each and every Sunday as we've gone through this series, I've I've stated my goal. Uh, And my goal is simple, that we would see and savor Jesus. Uh, Seeing uh, in a different way, you know, you can see, as I talked about last week, uh, visually. But you can also see when you say, oh, I see, as in like I understand. Uh, And then we've talked about savoring, uh, and to me, savoring, you know, it comes down to saying, man, that was good. Uh, I said, you know, last week, I always, I mean, I savor a steak, you know, a good steak. Many of us would savor a steak, but say, man, that was good. And I think we often don't say, man, I just, I savor what Jesus has done for me. Uh, I mean, and I'll be the first one to say, I mean, I don't often do that. I don't savor it. I don't think about it. I mean, I, I forget that I deserve death and hell and that he has saved me and given me, as we talked about, abundant life and life forever. I mean, to savor that, to really savor it, it changes your, your life. I, I believe it. You live differently. Uh, I say that, you know, when you say Jesus has saved you, he saves us from past shame. He saves us from present doubt. Because doubt's all like, I just don't know. You know, I just don't know about this. He saves us from future worry. Because worry is always future related. 
when you have that gift, and it is a gift, you live differently. And that's what this passage is talking about today. It's talking about abiding in Christ. It's talking about abundant life. But there are many challenges that hit us nonstop from living that way. Talked about those too. Uh, one of the challenges, and probably some of you are experiencing it right now, saying, oh, I know. Like, no with a K. I know. I know. And I think if you respond like that, then you probably, like, don't savor Jesus. And I have responded like that. I know, God, I know. But I don't really know. And then some would say, no. No. No with an N. Is it like, I really can't go there. I can't believe that. There are challenges of busyness. Today is one of the, uh, the perfect days kind of to illustrate that because we got a lot going on at church. So we can easily be busy at things we got to do, as we got to dot, T's we got to cross, and we can miss out on seeing to understand and savoring Jesus. Uh, also, you know, church can be, uh, and it can be a good thing, but it can also end up being a negative thing at times. You know, it's like our, our social club. That, that we come to, to visit, and that's good. That's a great thing. We come to connect. That's great. But we make that, and it is true, the family of Jesus here, more like an idol. And it can take us off course to seeing and savoring the Lord. Another thing is just the sin that's in us. I talked about, I mean, does this ever happen to y'all? Like, I'll do my rides with God time, and these thoughts just, like, just blow into my mind. Like, where did that come from? Ever have, anybody, just, anybody want to raise your hand? Thank you, Neil. I knew you would. But anyway, anybody else? <laughs> yeah. And today in basic beliefs, I was like, oh, well, stop, you know. And that's like in me. Uh, and then there's this, this guy called Satan, you know, who, you know, I, the Bible calls them darts. I mean, I call them like nuclear missiles, you know, just going right at us. And so there are all these things that compete to really see and really savor Jesus. The good news is, though, is that God is sovereign, uh, Jesus is king, and the Holy Spirit's here. And the Holy Spirit is supernatural. And I believe when we rely on ourselves, we're sitting ducks. When we rely on the Holy Spirit, He opens our heart, He cleanses our heart to what God wants to say. And so my hope is for me in preaching, for you in hearing, for us in praying together, for us as a church, we rely on the Holy Spirit, um, and He will fill us. So, let's look, at, uh, let's look at this passage, and uh, it's John 15, uh, verse 1 through 11. Starting with verse 1, John chapter 15. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. 
If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Let's stop right there. Jesus says a lot right there, uh, some of which, I'll be honest, like it's hard for me to understand. So, I kind of want to break this whole passage down almost verse by verse. But before I do this, I think generally what this passage is talking about, and by the way, the I am statement is Jesus saying, I am the vine today. But this passage is showing, let me say this, what a real Christian looks like and what a real church looks like. Let me begin at first by saying a real Christian. I love, and I've used this illustration before. Anybody ever seen Pinocchio? I mean, everybody's seen Pinocchio, right? Most people have seen Pinocchio. What was Pinocchio's wish? He wanted to be a what? A real boy. He said that over here, I just want to be a real boy. And not like, you know, held by strings or wooden or whatever. And I think about that a lot for our Christian, in my Christian life. You know, am I just like, you know, just like woody and like functioning and, you know, doing what the strings say I should do as I go through life? Or do I have this heart of the Spirit, not of flesh? You know, Ezekiel, one of my favorite verses, Ezekiel 26, 36, says, my Spirit will put a new heart in you. And I think about that. Like, I think so many folks are, I call them Pinocchio Christians, honestly, just going around and don't know the real life. Uh, let me give you an example of one, and I have this on my phone. I want to read a guy named Hudson Taylor. Anybody know who Hudson Taylor was? Anybody? Anybody? Neil's like, kind of, yeah, he knows, but he's like, I don't want to raise my hand every time. Um, so Hudson Taylor was a missionary, and he, uh, he went into China, and he would uh, both himself and send others into inland China. Uh, so not like... Beijing or the big cities, inland China, in the 1800s. So very, very primitive. And uh, it was said about him, it says, Here was a man almost 60 years of age, bearing tremendous burdens, yet absolutely calm and untroubled. Oh, the pile of letters, any one of which might contain news of a death, of lack of funds for a startup church, of riots, or serious trouble. Yet all the letters were opened, read, and answered with the same tranquility. Christ was his reason for peace, his power for calm. Dwelling on Christ, he drew upon his very being and resources, and this he did with an attitude of faith as simple as it was continuous. Yet he was delightfully free and natural. I can find no words to describe it save the scriptural expression... He was abiding in God. He was in God all the time, and God was in him. It was that true abiding John 15 talks about. Now, let me say this. Uh, I say that, and often my response has been when when a preacher or pastor talks about a missionary, something like that, I would say, uh, great, not me. I want this church to be about why not me. And maybe that be our thinking. And yeah, not everybody's called to go in and challenge, but some are. He was. And so we are all called to neighbors and we're called to nations. That's not my opinion, that's biblical. 
And I think that when you are abiding in Christ, He reveals these things in these places that you should go and you should do that we never dream or never imagine. And so it's not a not me attitude. It's a why not me? Simply to consider. The other thing I think this passage shows is a a real church. And I say that because, um, and y'all may not know this, but uh, I've learned from other preachers and mentors that, uh, you know, we want everybody in a church, and, and we've said that's from day one here, even if this is not your home, but we don't recommend every church. Seriously. Like, it's great to, I want you in a church, but I wouldn't recommend every church in Metro Jackson. Simply saying. And you're like, why, why wouldn't you? Well, the main thing is, is the gospel proclaimed there? Or is it something different? Uh, is it a building uh, that people look to for their benefit and hopefully for the best life they could have uh, in this physical life? Or is it pointing to something higher? Is, is it a, a building uh, that wants to use that building for the light of Christ, for the benefit of Jesus, and that others would know His life? There is a difference. And it is work because my sin... Uh, enjoys the building and wants my benefits and wants to have the best life here. That's why I have to push myself and, and push others to say it's about Jesus, about blessing His name and going out for Him. And some churches uh, will do that and are focused on that and some won't. Simple. And so it's looking at uh, what I'd call a real church, like a real church, the church of Jesus. So Let's break this down verse by verse because it can be, it's okay, abide in me and vine and fruit. And like, what? okay, it's nice, Jesus, thank you, but um, let's watch the kids do the Easter egg hunt. It'll be fun. Anyway, let's, let's get into this. Verse 1. This is interesting. Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. It's interesting that Jesus says that because in verse 5, he could have just started verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Instead, he says, I am the vine. My father is the vine dresser. I think what he's saying here is that at a church, talking about at a church of Jesus, he's the center, but his father shapes it and gives it shape. So Jesus is the center, but the Lord, his father, is working in a different way to shape the body. I just find it fascinating. Jesus could have started, I'm the vine, you're the branch, but he does. He says, I'm the vine, my father is the vine dresser. He, he makes it. He is the sculptor, we are the clay. So he starts there, and then look at this. It says, every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Uh, this has been a controversial verse, and so I have to, have to say this. Uh, I can't just skip over it, because a lot of folks have thought that that might mean that someone could lose their salvation. Okay, And uh, I have... Talk to a lot of folks who, who worry about that. Like, well, you know, could I lose my salvation? Because this, this verse has been a reference. Say, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, I believe that you cannot, let me be clear, cannot lose your salvation. Um, the old school way of saying that is once saved, always saved. You know, if that's how you want to take it, that's great. But I believe that when you're saved, you're saved. So then you're like, well, what does this mean? It just says the Father takes away. I think this is a great week to think about this verse because we're going to be also thinking about this other guy whom the Lord took away. Anybody want to take a guess who he was? 
Moncrief, you want to take a guess? Judas. We have Judas over here Friday. Anyway, y'all have to wait for that. But we're going to be talking about Judas. Yeah, he's like, thanks for calling me out, buddy. Anyway, just promotion, man. You're the actor. <laughs> Judas. Look at this. Uh, I want to look at the passage. If you want to go to John chapter 6 real quick. Um, just want to read a couple of If you don't, just listen to me. John 6, the end of it. Verse 64. Listen to what Jesus says here. It's about Judas. There are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Our salvation, our being saved is a gift. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you, Jesus doesn't mince words here, and yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. So it's not like Jesus was tricked by Judas, that it was a surprise. Jesus knew what was going on. And get this, uh, he let Judas like be close to him, be one of the twelve for you know, around three years, and Judas betrayed him. It was in the Lord's plan. A little bit of a mystery there. But we go to this verse and say, those who are in me, as Judas was, and doesn't bear fruit, the Lord will take away. So I've always come to see this verse as they were never saved to begin with. They were the Pinocchio Christians, if I can be clear. And at a point, the Lord says, you know, I'm take you away. Then he says, for those who are Christians, that the Lord prunes, that it may bear more fruit. And for uh, those of us who are Christians, then we should expect pruning. Uh, and what is pruning? You know, some of you, you gardeners, it is, you know, it's cutting, shaping, trimming up, right? Uh, not that I know what pruning might be, you know, you know. <laughs> Don't like the garden work, but he prunes us. So a challenge or a difficulty could be the Lord pruning you. Uh, A loss of a job could be a pruning. Um, A relationship break could be a pruning. A death. God can use that to prune. And so we need the discipline to see that there are no accidents in Christianity and for Christians, and that the Lord will use things to prune and shape us. Moving on, verse 3. Jesus says, you're already clean because of what I've already spoken to you. Here's what's also interesting. That word clean is the same Greek word as prune. It's just communicated differently there. So you say, well, if he prunes me and I'm clean, you know, what's the deal? Jesus is saying, in the pruning, listen, you're being cleansed. It's kind of like Peter talking about Holy Week. Jesus says, Peter, you're going to be sifted. You're going to be sifted. I think of uh, Honduras. By the way, I forgot. There's a Honduras meeting at 7 after the prayer service for those interested to go. Nice plug to weave that in there. Uh, I remember in Honduras that I'm, I'm sifting dirt to build this. I know this is a big plug to help you all go. Um, you got all this uh, high-tech equipment, and you're just throwing dirt to get the, uh, the bad stuff out so you can make good dirt to build the house. Anyway, there's my plug for Honduras. But you're sifting the dirt to get the impurities out of it. 
So Jesus is saying, man, if you're following me, if you're in me, you're going to be pruned, and it's cleansing. You're going to be cleansed. Verse 4, he says, abide in me, and look at this, and I in you. How do you tell the difference between a real Christian and a Pinocchio Christian, to keep using that term? Jesus also abides in them. It's not just them saying, I'm abiding in Jesus, that you see something in them that is different. See here, Jesus, he differentiates, he says, you're abiding in me, but I'm abiding in you, that you can bear fruit. And you're like, okay, but I need something tangible, I need to see it. A great verse to help you see, it's going to be up on screen, Galatians 5, talk about fruit, talk about bearing fruit. Paul makes it clear. What does this fruit look like? When you're in Jesus and he's in you, what does it look like? Galatians 5, 22 to 24. But the fruit of the Spirit is... Y'all help me read this. This is good. Love. Come on, everybody. Joy. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. Against such things there is no law. You don't have to read this. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. I want to show you a couple things real quick about this verse. Things are going outward. Love, joy, peace. But then inward, we're doing a work too. We're crucifying the flesh. It's kind of what I talked about in my Rise with God time. This morning in basic belief, these thoughts come in. What do I do? I take my thoughts captive. Uh, what do I do, as I've said, with an addictive personality? Uh, i got to crucify some flesh. And by the way, i got to do that daily. you got to put sin to death by the power of the Spirit, not of our own will, when we see the glory of God. So we do that internally, externally, the fruit of the Spirit comes out. There's two things going on there. Going on. Jesus says, verse 6, kind of tied to verse 2, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. That's a foreshadowing of what? It's a foreshadowing of hell. Jesus doesn't mince words. Not my words, Jesus' words. Then he says, verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. A lot of folks have seen that verse and said, okay, uh, I'm Jesus, guy, girl, Christian, even as Pinocchio Christian, and, uh, you know, Jesus, here's my request. And that request doesn't happen. I believe if we're abiding in Jesus and he's in us, we start, our thoughts start changing. Our prayers start changing. Our requests start changing. What's your will, Jesus? As he said in the garden, again this week, not my will, Lord, but your will. And he says, he will grant your wish. When those thoughts start changing, when we are abiding. Verse 8, 9, and 10, skipping ahead. There are three points that are uh, so strong and so powerful, and I really hope you see this. One, uh, what, all, what is all this about, this abiding, this like real Christian stuff. One, it's about glory. It is about showing the glory of God. Not just in your life, but like pointing to His glory. It's what I call seeing a big God. It's what I call, there are no accidents in Christianity. It's what I call Romans 8.28. A Romans 8.28 life. Saying all things work together for good. For those that 
love him and are called according to his purpose. It's a bigger picture than just our life. It's a bigger picture than just our church. Uh, It's a bigger kingdom than we can imagine. And it's a bigger life than we can fathom because it stretches out into eternity. And we can say, and I say this truthfully, this life is an internship for our eternal life. Period. And there is much more to do when we pass the veil of a physical death. And it glorifies God. So one, it's about His glory. Two, it's about love, though. It's about loving. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will love. How can we love supernaturally? How can we love our enemy? Because a lot of us have enemies. And I said to us, that means me too. How can we love our enemies? How can we love those who, like, you know, we just don't really care about or not really interested in? I mean, it's, like I've said, love is a cultural word. I mean, you see in the halftime show of the Super Bowl. I mean, love is everywhere, but supernatural love. How can we do that? Skip down to verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. I say this at every wedding I do. Love is a choice. Because uh, one day or one morning, you know, that, uh, that groom, you know, I always tell him, he's not going to look that handsome. Uh, now, this, the bride will always be beautiful. But, you know, you're going to have to choose love. You have to wake up and look at the spouse and say, I choose to love you. Just ask my wife. Does it all the time, okay? Seriously. I choose love. Can you do that? You can. In the power of Christ. And if you say, I can, I can, and can't, then you don't know the power of Christ. If you say, I really can't love that, then maybe, and I'm just keep saying, you might be a Pinocchio Christian. And maybe we need to see and savor the cross and what he's done. Because Jesus laid down his life for you. If you're in this house, you're hearing the gospel, so I believe that Jesus is calling you. Period. There are no accents. You're here. We're called to love others. And then last, there should be a joy. He ends with this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be in full. Now, some of you have been like, man, I ain't feeling no joy. You know, I got invited to church or I'm doing it for my kid. Let him throw some Easter eggs out. Um, I'm getting a feed out of it, at least. You know, that's good. Or, um, you know, man, you may just have the no posture with a K. I know this. Or a no posture with an N, like no, no, no. Or you may be like me. You know, I've got, I mean, I got, you know, turkey hunting and baseball in my mind. Not necessarily in that order. Um, where you get this joy? I mean, thanks, but I'll take turkey hunting and baseball, buddy. You know? Well, verse 16, last verse I want to highlight. This can give you joy. It should give you joy. But I can't make you feel joyful about it. Jesus said this to his disciples, and he says it to you. He says it to you here, church. He says it to you personally. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name he may give to you. Uh, so y'all are chosen here, but you're not just chosen for a great life, or you're not just chosen for heaven. You're chosen for a plan and a purpose, a rhyme. Your life has a rhyme to it by God, and a reason. And so that's when you say, okay, so God knew the exact time and the exact place and my earthly lifespan. And if I look into God's Word, it's one great story. 
and the story never ends and the best is yet to come, and Christianity is about the future, new life, and every day counts, and there are no accidents, and if you start really clinging to that, uh, I believe the Spirit changed your life, and I believe the Spirit gives you joy. And you're like, well, how do you know that? Because I feel it. Let me just say that. I feel it. And I feel it in conviction, and I feel it in challenging myself and challenging a church, and I feel it as a pastor, and I feel it when there are problems in church, and, and I feel it uh, in mission to go. And I feel it. I mean, there's, Jesus died for, for me and for you. And there's a world that needs to know. And, and we can do church, or we can live for Jesus and go out. And that's how, you know, folks will, hey, I'll go to India, or, you know, hey, I'll go to Honduras, or hey, I'll take a step. You know, how do, how do you go to the world? You see, John 15, 16, that you've been chosen to go. And you see your life as so much more than a career that could or could not be perfect, uh, than a bank account or multiple bank accounts, than a home or multiple homes, than this family or this look or, or this kid or, or this disability or this death. And it's so big and it's so huge that we cannot fathom it. And we just really want to worship and we really want to know more of the story and we really want to be the church and we really want to be a Christian and it does give you cold chills. I get cold chills out. And if you don't, I mean, it's okay. Thank God you're here. Okay? But this is real. This is real stuff. This was blood shed for, for you. And so it is meant to be preached and proclaimed. And it's meant to be preached and proclaimed in a, in a challenging, but, but yeah, in a joyful way that your life matters. And tomorrow matters for God. And this week is Easter matters for God. In you, in your heart, in your relationships. Maybe it's in an ex-husband or ex-spouse. Or maybe it's with a spouse. I don't know all of it, but it does for you. So it is kind of time to wake up and stop being Pinocchio Christians. And you're like, okay, how do I do that? It's very simple. One, you repent. We've already come to the altar. You can always come to the altar again. Come to the altar anytime. You can even do it in a sermon. I mean, that'd be interesting, but I'd love to see that. You know, it's like, you know I don't like rote stuff. You know? And you turn, and you turn to Jesus. Like, I, I, I know that. Just turn to Jesus. Abide in me. I, I believe something supernatural then happens. But you got to repent first. I mean, key in on that. Which repentance is like, I need you, Jesus. I, I can't love this person. Turn to Jesus. And it will happen. I, just, I believe it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that uh, this is power. It's not of this earth. It's not of this world. Uh, it's of you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, you're a big God. Thank you for a great call to love our neighbors. And they may be another person uh, that looks different, that acts different. And you call us to go to our neighbor and also to nations. Uh, Lord, just give us John 15, 16 hearts as well as John 10, 16 hearts. That we're chosen to go and bear fruit. And that the fruit will glorify you in our lives, in our churches, in our world. In your name, amen.